Let's pray together, shall we? Father, it is good to have missionary friends, family, come and visit with us. The exuberance of being able to hear and to see what you are doing in a part of the, our world that, quite frankly, most of us, if all of us, will never get to. But I'm glad you're there, Lord. I'm glad that you are using the Overholtzes to minister in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. I pray, O oh God, that you would continue to bless them and use them. They have been faithful to your call, as Dean said, for well over 30 years. And yet, God, you still have a work for them to do. The contacts that they have made, the the students that Ida gets an opportunity to work with, the ladies, the men, the children, the camps, all of those opportunities, oh God, first of all, we ask that you would give them strength. Continue, Lord, and, and maybe in this time that they're in the States, maybe they, you, Lord, can refresh them with some, some rest. But also to infuse them again with your vision for them as they minister in part of the world known as the Philippines, the southern part of that region. And God, we thank you that your gospel, it is the power of God. Not only to the Jew first, but also to the Greek. And it is by that powerful gospel whereby through the death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior. By grace through faith, we come to that loving relationship with Jesus Christ as our Savior. Pray, O oh God, that you would bless them as they share with us during the Sunday school hour. And may we, O oh Lord, in joining with them, rejoice in the things that you have done. Pray to God for uh, this, the Snyder family, Greg and children. Tuesday is not going to be easy. It hasn't been an easy road as they have watched Marcy slowly decline underneath the hand grip or the gripping of Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS. Wednesday, she was healed. Thank you, God, that absent from the body is present with you. And I can't imagine the, the first words that she was able to share, to speak, were not computer-generated, but they came from a body that was transformed came to a situation where I'm sure that maybe the first words out of her mouth were, thank you, Jesus, for saving me. The first steps she was able to take unassisted were steps that the rest of us long to, to take with her, and that's walking in your very presence. But the funeral service coming this Tuesday, Lord, I pray that you would have your word 
that it would work mightily in the lives of some of her family members that maybe, just maybe, do not know you. I know there are many in the church here that are familiar with the situation. They know the family very close. And I pray, God, that you would use Grace Community Church as a, an instrument not only of your righteousness, but an instrument of comfort. I pray, God, that you would allow your word to speak mightily Tuesday afternoon. And as we meet with them this afternoon, I pray, God, that you would give me the words to say, words that can bring comfort even in the midst of a storm. We thank you, Lord, for Marcy's faith that she trusted in you. And now she is reaping the full benefits of that simple faith. Bless, O oh God, that family and their time. We come to your word, O oh Lord, I pray that you would help this vessel to speak correctly. And by your spirit, Lord, that you would speak through your word to our hearts. It's an interesting book that we're journeying through lessons of life that maybe we don't see right away as we read the pages, but those lessons are very valuable even for us today. So guide, O oh Lord, and thank you that your spirit will teach us all things and bring all things to our remembrance whatsoever you have told us. May you, Father, be honored and glorified as the song that the chorus we just finished singing, Be Exalted, O God. And we'll thank you and praise you in your name. Amen. We again find ourselves in the book of Ezra. Ezra chapter 3, we are going to finish this particular chapter focusing mainly on verses 8 through 13. Those are the remaining verses yet that we must deal with. And I've entitled this particular portion of the series of greatness of our God to now setting the foundations. My wife and I yesterday, we took a journey to southern Lancaster County where one of our children live and and as we were driving down through some more familiar area, down through Anvil, where we spent 13 years down there near the Hershey area, and we recognized the fact that there are a number of new communities that are being built up, brand new homes. And uh, I couldn't help but wonder about the foundations of those homes and how different areas of our country even dictate the different type of foundation that you must have. In upstate New York, where I'm originally from, you must dig at least four and a half, five feet down. You've got to get below the frost line. And down in Texas, they put you on a slab and, and because they don't get frost. But the foundation is what keeps the building erect. The children of Israel have come back Cyrus has been moved in chapter 1. The Spirit of God moved in Cyrus's heart, and he declared 
that the children of Israel are to be released. They are to go back to build the temple to their God in Ezra chapter 1. In chapter 3, last week, we, we noticed that the first thing they built was the, 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 uh, the, the, the altar because they began to, again, sacrifice not sacrifices for sin because there's no temple there. But they began to sacrifice, if you will, for dedication of themselves, a renewing, if you will, of their lives to the presence and power of God. And in fact, they even engaged themselves in what is known as the Festival of Tabernacles or the Festival of Booths. They identified with their, their ancestors in that particular uh, situation, a week-long celebration, that they identified themselves with the presence of God and how God took them from Egypt through the wilderness and protected and provided for them. In chapter now we want to finish, I just want to close with a little bit of a reading from verse 7 and prepare our hearts for verse 8. In Ezra chapter 1 through 6, we see the returned community, if you will, in fear of the inhabitants of the land. So they began to establish the worship of God. In fact, we said the, one of the great things to, to uh, co uh, conquer fear is to worship God. And we described worship, we gave a definition of what we mean by worship. It's not just the singing, if you will, of hymns, though that's a wonderful thing. It's not just giving of, of tithes and offerings, though that's a wonderful thing. But literally, worship, the true worship, is living, if you will, the reality of Scripture and what God says, living that in our everyday lives. All that we say and all that we do. The Apostle Paul describes it a little bit differently in Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, where he talks about presenting ourselves as a living sacrifice of worship, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. It's the least that we can do for all that God has done for us. And these people in Israel, in Judah, the land of Judah, began to reestablish that in their service because of fear. But let's look at chapter, seven, or chapter 3, and, and let's pick the narrative. Of, let's go back to verse 7. That will introduce the rest of the chapter. They also gave money to the masons and the carpenters and food and drink and oil to the people of Sidon and Tyre to bring cedar logs from Lebanon to the sea, to Joppa, according to the permission which they had from Cyrus, king of Persia. Now in the second month of the second year of their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, Zerubbabel, the son of Shelatiel, Jeshua, the son of Josadak, and the rest of their brethren, the priests and the Levites, and all those who had come out of the country or out of the captivity to Jerusalem, began work and appointed the Levites from 20 years old and above to oversee the work of the house of the Lord. Then Jeshua, with his sons and brothers, Cadmiel, and with his sons, and the sons of Judah, 
arose as one to oversee those working on the house of God. The sons of, of, of Hanadad with their sons and their brethren, the Levites. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests stood in their apparel with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals, to praise the Lord according to the ordinance of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising, giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his mercy endures forever toward Israel. Then all the people shouted with a great shout, and when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Many of the priests and Levites and heads of the fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first temple, wept with a loud voice when the foundation of this temple was laid before their eyes. Yet many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the sound was heard afar off. Let me ask you a question. Upon what have you built your foundation? Upon what have you built your foundation? We see in this particular passage that the foundation for the new temple is about to be underway. But the question still arises, what have you built your foundation upon? I did some search as to age groups that deal with if they even believe that there is God or not. What is interesting is I came to some startling, if you will, some startling statistics. As, and these statistics are not the newest, but they're somewhat close to our present time. From ages 18 to 29, only 18% believe in God. From ages 30 to 49, 34% believe that there's God. From 50 to 64, 29% believe in God. And 60 years, or 65 and older, 20%. But what's even more startling is that those who do not believe there is God. The 18 to the 29, 38% say there is no God. Ages 30 to 49, 34% say there is no God. 60, or I'm sorry, 50 to 64, 16%, and then 65 and older, 12%. I wonder what kind of foundation the next generation is being built upon. For if there is no God in their minds, if there is no God, I wonder if maybe they might come to the place where they said because there was no king in the land everyone did what was right in their own eyes I believe we're at that place now 
It's a startling statistic about what is our foundation. The foundation of our country was built upon the realization that there is God. The dollar bill that you pull out of your wallet, some of you, the George Washingtons, probably have sunglasses on because they've not seen the light of day. It says, in God we trust. In God we trust. And yet there is a movement, as I'm sure you are aware of, there's a movement to remove the name of God from every aspect of life in the United States. So upon what foundation are we building our lives? I think there's some very interesting correlation to what is happening in Ezra chapter 3 to how it relates to us even today. When we look at the building of the foundation, the first one is they're building the foundation by example. By example. Ezra, who obviously wrote this particular book that we're in, I believe also penned the words that we have recorded for us in First and Second Chronicles. What's kind of interesting, I'm going to give you some passages for you to go back and look at this afternoon if the Lord would lay it upon your heart to do so. But Ezra is very detailed in the fact that he gives us two important moments of history, past history, that the nation of Israel at this time is living by example. Verse 7, it talks about these cedar logs. And if you go back in 1 Kings, in, in 1 Kings chapter 5, verses 6 to 9, or 2 Chronicles chapter 2 and verse 16, you will see that Solomon made, if you will, a deal with the king of Tyre. Hiram, his name is. And the deal was for cedar logs for the building of the temple that Solomon was going to be engaged in. In both of those situations, both of those passages, you will find out that they provided, King Solomon provided for those who were going to bring the logs with daily sustenance for them, as is listed for us here in verse 7. They were to cut them, bring them to the Mediterranean Sea, float them up the river to Joppa, and it would be there that they would be taken care of by those individuals who were crafted in that area. Notice verse 7 gives what same of the same detail. Joppa is listed there. The second interesting part is this in verse 8. Notice the month. It says in the second year that they are there in the land in the second month, they begin to lay the foundations. What's kind of interesting is there's a very detailed, if you will, a very detailed explanation as Solomon begins to build the temple that in 1 Kings chapter 6 and verse 1, 
It says, Solomon begins to build a temple after 480 years that God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. Not only 480 years, but it was in the fourth year of his reign that he began to build. But what's really interesting, it was the second month of his fourth year of reign. The children of Israel are beginning again to lay the foundations for this new temple in the second year that they have come back from captivity. They were following examples. Examples that they believed were being honored by God. So the question on the table is this. Who are you following? What example is it in your life that you could grab hold of and say, this is what I want for my life? You can't tell right now, but there was a time in my life when I, when I didn't weigh this weight. In fact, when I was a freshman in high school, I wrestled 98 pounds. Please don't laugh. That makes me feel bad. Eh? But it was true. But even before high school, I played Little League Baseball, as I'm sure many of you did. There was a player that, that I love to mimic. His name is Willie Mays. I have an autographed baseball by Willie Mays, officially autographed by Willie Mays in my office. Willie Mays played center field for the San Francisco Giants. Probably considered one of the best center field players of his day, if not in all of baseball. I really feel that he would have broke the home run record if it wasn't for the fact that he spent three years in armed services. He ended up being, I think now he is fourth on the list of total home runs. But Willie Mays was really famous for what his basket catch. He, he could run a ball down and he would catch it in front of him. And I tried that a couple times. The ball doesn't feel too good when it hits you in the head. You know, I, I disregarded what the coaches said. The, Doug, the proper way to catch a fly ball is glove up, other hand on the thumb, and squeeze it. Okay, I got that, coach. Fly ball. Bam. See, Doug, I told you. I told you. Probably about the third time, I forgot about trying to make a basket catch and go to see what my coaches were doing. But the, the issue is this. Who are you listening to? Who, who is your example? Who is it that you would say that if that is biblical Christianity, that's who I want to be like? Uh, I know. We all say proverbially, 
I want to be like Jesus Christ. I, I understand that. I got that. But who would you pattern your life after? The Apostle Paul made a very interesting statement in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 when he said, if you want to know how to follow Christ, follow me. I'm the example. Now, that's either a really bold statement or the Apostle Paul is saying, this is how you should live. Later on, he recounts in Philippians chapter 4 when he says, whatsoever is true, whatsoever is honest, whatsoever is pure, whatsoever is good, if there's any virtue in these, think on these things. Who's our example? The nation of Israel went after the example of what Solomon did. They identified themselves with the example of the Israelites in the festival of the tabernacle. They identified themselves with the the word of Moses as God gave it to him concerning sacrifices. They wanted to re-identify themselves in the purity of God that be re-established in Jerusalem. And so when it came to building the foundations, to redoing the foundations, they followed the example of Solomon. The getting of the cedar logs from the same place he got them and beginning the building in the same month that he began. They set the foundations by example. In verses 10 down through verses 11, they set the foundations by exaltation. By exaltation. There's a group of interesting individuals that are introduced here. They're not just Levites, but in reality, there's an interesting word, the word supervisors. They were watching over the building or the reestablishing of the foundation. In the Hebrew language, that word that is that is translated as supervising, is a word that is used quite frequently in the Psalms. As a psalm is introduced, you have it in your Bibles, that who the particular individual is that authored that psalm. Some of the psalms have been authored by musicians, Asaph being one of them. And in fact, even some of them have been identified as to the choir director. Now get this, Miss Renee, choir director. The Hebrew word for supervisor, the root word for choir director is almost identical. You're not just a choir director, Miss Renee, you are a supervisor. And Pup knows that very well. You are a supervisor. 
you look over the choir to make sure that we are singing it properly. Choir members, can I get an amen? You make sure that when we are ready to stand up here, we are at the best of our ability in order to sing the power of that song. These Levites who were put in charge of supervising the building, and they did it even with cymbals and trumpets and song, they were choir director supervisors. They wanted to make sure that the temple was going to be built not from the viewpoint of an architect, but for the purpose of worshiping God. And they are there watching it meticulously, making sure. I kind of wonder as they began to lay the, the corner piece the corner, the, the, the block that begins to square everything up, that when it was set, they, they began to sing if they knew the song, Hallelujah Chorus, from that which we're familiar with. I wonder if maybe every moment of every day, as they see this foundation being more and more completed, that they begin to engage themselves in celebration of exaltation to God for everything that has been done. I wonder if our own lives, are we really exalting God for what he has done for us each and every day? As we were coming home last yesterday afternoon, we... We left early enough. We knew what was coming. My wife is meticulous when she, on her cell phone, she has the uh, forecast. And it's supposed to start snowing at 3. we got to go. Okay. Well, it wasn't snowing in southern Lancaster County at 3, but we left. We come up. We get on 283. Those of you that know that route, 283 into Harrisburg. Connect, if you will, on, on 83 and get on 322. As soon as we got on 322, coming toward the 225 exit, we come over Peters Mountain. Before we get there, I look over in the hills, and you can't see the hills. And I said to my wife, I think that's snow. I get flashes of brilliance once in a while like that. I think that's snow. And we get off at the 225 exit there, and we're we're coming up, heading towards Peter's Mountain, and the snow is getting heavier. We get over Peter's Mountain, and we we get into Halifax, and the snow is getting heavier. And Nancy said, are are you going to continue on 225 to go over to Eville? I said, no, I'm going River 147. We got outside of Halifax, about halfway between Halifax and Millersburg, and the roads are now white, all white. It's snowing now. 
We got off of Millersburg. We get, we get on 25, coming over this way. A couple cars in front of us. They're doing the, the winter dance. We're just going along, winter dance. Give them room. Get out of the way, okay, and we get home. And, and you pull in here and in the driveway, and you just say, thank you, God, for safety. I mean, that's a minor instance. I, I know that. But these Levites supervised in every aspect of the way. They said, thank you, God, for bringing us home. Thank you for letting us to reestablish the center of the presence of God in Jerusalem. Thank you. But notice what they were saying. They were singing, God is good. And his mercy endures forever. And in the Hebrew, it's a continuous forever and ever and ever. Never stops. He's good. And the last, they laid the foundations by expression. That should be verses 12 and 13, not 10 and 11. We just did that. 12 and 13 by expression. Notice, if you will, the two forms of expression. One was shouts of joy, and the other were weeping of tears. Those who were weeping remembered what Solomon's temple looked like. That's what the text says. They remember the grandeur of that. I had to go back, and as I'm sure I, I trust many of you will, go back to Second Chronicles and begin to read again all that God allows Solomon to build for his honor and glory. His throne alone it says in the Scriptures, there was never a throne like it, and there never will be a throne ever like it again. It had six stairs to get to his throne seat. And on the side, there were six lions guarding each step. And as he got to his throne, he would sit. But here's the grandeur of it. It was all covered with pure gold. In fact, this text tells us that Solomon had so much gold every year that he looked at silver as being worthless. And so these people that are weeping remember what they had. They, they remember the grandeur of the Solomon Temple as it was 60 cubits long, 28 cubits wide. It was a big house. And it was laid with gold. Pure gold. Solomon wouldn't have anything less. 
and they remember, and they wept. Do you know that there are consequences of sin? I believe they wept because they remembered what we had and why we lost it. It's all gone. The new temple that is being built in no way is going to match the grandeur of that. They lost that because of their turning their backs on God. Does God forgive? Yes, he did. He forgave. He reestablished themselves back in Jerusalem. But I'm here to tell you that some of the consequences of sin rob us of God's best for us. And they began to weep because they knew what they once had. They'll never get back. They never will. And those who had no idea the grandeur of that shouted for joy. Let me ask you a question. Which group would you be a part of? As you look back in your life, and you see all that God has done for you, have you walked away from him? Oh, there's unfortunate consequences. Does God forgive? Yes. Thank God he does. Amen. Thank God he does forgive. My, my cry to you this morning is this. Build your foundation upon the example of Jesus Christ with the determination to exalt him in all of worship. And by expressing that with a joy unspeakable and full of glory. And I guarantee you, you will not be sorry. Because worship keeps us from sin. Protects us. If you want to real, know real joy in Jesus, worship him with your life. If you want to know what it is to be able to have rest, even in the midst of a storm, worship Jesus for all who he is. And by the way, and all that he's going to do. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this day. The example before us humbles us. The passage that we have just skimmed over causes us to be arrested and stop and to recognize that the proper setting of foundations needs to be by example through exaltation and by expression. May praise never leave our lips. May worship never be void from our lives. And may you be exalted in all that we say and all that we do. What is in the matchless name of Christ our Savior, we pray. Amen.